Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. Uh, This week, I'm going to uh, do a solo episode. I kind of struggled with figuring out how I was going to just adjust to the fact that occasionally, uh, I think because of my unorthodox schedule, the best thing for me to do is to kind of like really hunker down on the home front and that's what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. So all that to say that I, uh, I was traveling a whole bunch. I got a couple of weeks to be at home and I've, I've given myself this, I, I think it's really a strengthening factor to the podcast, but occasionally it can make it a bit more difficult, which is I've really made a promise to myself that I'm only going to do in-person uh, conversations with folks. It's not that I don't occasionally even uh, participate in podcasts for other people's platforms, you know, over Zoom or something like that. But I just think for me personally, I'm able to have a a more intuitive conversation with somebody if I'm in a room with them, uh, picking up on all all of those, you know, different social cues that uh, we're conditioned to, uh, you know, after a lifetime of interacting with people. And... Uh, I also, I, I think the sound quality is better if you're doing it in person with these, uh, these broadcaster headset things that I'm wearing, uh, you know, basically if you've ever seen those, uh, those like announcers at like a football game or something, that's what it looks like most of the time when I'm recording a podcast. But anyway, so, uh, just a little lull in between guests we will have next week. We will be back on s- like regularly scheduled programming style. We'll be back at the same time, same station, Tuesdays, released early in the morning, and we'll be back with more guests. But I do think that uh, moving forward, you know, we're going to have two to, I'd say two to four solo podcasts probably per year. Uh, I think this podcast is going to be number 31, which means that we are kind of past the point of no return. Uh, we are, you know, over halfway through, which, you know, my initial goal was my initial goal was to do 52 episodes in this first year. It kind of started last year right at the beginning of duck season in Arkansas, which puts me uh, at hitting that that year uh, threshold again at the beginning of duck season. Uh, and I'm thinking about doing some something a little bit uh Interesting with that, maybe doing like kind of a cool dinner slash live podcast recording there at the lodge in Brinkley. Uh, just something that if folks are, you know, not too far away from East Arkansas, they could come and we could do a really neat meal and have a, some cool guests and just have kind of like a live conversation and everyone hang out there in the lodge on the recliners and the couches and, you know, crisscross applesauce on the floor like the old house shows. Uh, of my stored youth. Anyway, so uh, I thought what I might do on this podcast 
is a bit of a download. Uh, yes, about turkey tour, and I mean, I might talk a little bit about some of the hunts, but mostly I want to talk about uh, a little bit more of the utility of traveling in a setup like that, right? So basically, I spent, uh, you know, like 22 days kind of living out of my van, went from Little Rock over to uh, California and hunted in California, then went up to Western Oregon, hunted there, went to Eastern Oregon, hunted there, drove across uh, the Nez Perce Reservation in Idaho, which is possibly one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Uh, made my way into Montana and ended up there at BHA Rendezvous and uh, did a waterfowl seminar and some other stuff. Uh, then went down through Denver, stopped at a podcast there, uh, made it home. I was home for like, so I think that put me home on like a Monday and then I left, uh, that following Sunday. No, I left the following Monday, uh, and went up to Michigan, did this hunt with Sitka and NWTF. That was, uh, really an amazing time. And then went over a little bit east of there and did some wild game cooking demos at a uh, hunting dog kind of rendezvous of their own, I guess. Uh, so anyway, basically in about five weeks, I put about 10,000 miles on my van. And so for the first three weeks, I spent every single night, you know, sleeping in the van. And then that last week in Michigan, I, I did have, uh, I had accommodations. I had a hotel room there um, doing the Sitka hunt. And then the the event was at this kind of, this resort, which was, what was it called? Uh, Shanty Creek there in northern Michigan. It seemed like a very well-known thing to uh, Michiganders. Uh, I don't know, kind of akin to like a an older Branson I'm just talking about the uh, the lodging part of it. I guess it's like a golf course, and then in the winter they blow snow machines, and uh, it's like a ski resort. But I was comparing it to Branson, which is just kind of ubiquitous for the part of the country I live in. That's like Silver Dollar City and Andy Williams' uh, sideshow. I don't know what he does there. But, uh, yeah, they never heard of it. But so anyway, before I go too deep into this ramble – Man, I put a lot of miles on this on this vehicle, right? Uh, great time to buy gas for a really fuel-efficient one-ton van that is uh, 25 years old. I say that sarcastically. Uh, gas, you know, was... I probably paid four and a half to five and a half dollars on average per gallon of gas. Uh, there was one place, like just this kind of I would I dare dare I call it an oasis. It was just like the only gas station in a really long time down at the bottom of uh the very bottom of Southern California, kind of on this you know, it was like forty miles without services. So they were the first thing there and they were charging six dollars a gallon and that hurt to pay for. But uh I mean other than the gas deal, I think I figured it out. I need to look at my numbers again, but I think I ended up paying about thirty five hundred dollars in gas. Uh I had no lodging expenses, so that helped out tremendously. Uh, I'd say 
I mean, the hunting was amazing. I got to hang out with really awesome people, like old friends and new friends, and meet some just super cool people. Uh, the hunts were, it was kind of like once in a lifetime, uh, or if I never get it again, if I never have uh, a turkey hunting string that good again for the rest of my life, like I won't be mad because it was, it was kind of phenomenal. Uh, but I was so pleased with how the rig held up, right? So this is a, this is a 1998 Dodge B3500. So that's the one ton, that's the one ton like big van from back in the late 90s. You know, the, the latter part of the last century. Uh, it's like an old band van, which is what I associate it with because of years playing music and traveling around in different van configurations. Uh, it's a like a 15-seater van. I've got all the seats for it, but those seats are removable. So basically, I did a, I, I think, a very utilitarian and, uh, you know, I'll pat myself on the back. I think, you know, pretty efficient and smart little setup for it. I'm not going to call it a build because I don't think that's, I really built that much. But uh, basically what I did was uh, I took all the seats out except for the front two captain chairs. Those bench seats just come out with those clips. So I took those out and stored them in my shop. I, uh, If you know anything about uh, the building, Black Duck Revival, and the, the building next to it I have is called Black Duck Bungalow. Uh, I've kind of shifted to using that bungalow more as like staff housing for the waterfowl hunts and such so i just don't need is you know clients over there as much so i pulled one of the beds out of there there was a twin bed on a platform and i pulled that out of there and notched it out so it would fit over the wheel well and got that really solidly in place there in the van uh, up against if you open the back door and look in there it's up against the left hand side i had that kind of all the way by the back underneath that that's where i you know put my uh my shotgun uh, i had a bow I also had a, like a small kind of 30% of normal sized, pretty skinny folding table that I put under there. And then just one of those old school Coleman green flat Coleman camp stoves. And they're kind of in the middle between uh, where that bed ended and where the captain's chairs were. That's where I, I just had like my clothes and bags. Uh, I had a couple of coolers. One cooler was kind of overflow and one cooler I, I kept ice in the whole time. And that's where I put my birds and, you know, sandwich meat and stuff like that that I traveled with. Uh, as far as water, I just had like a, like three or four gallon jugs in there that uh, I stopped at a Walmart and bought and then I would just fill them up as needed. Uh, I did a lot of going to friends' houses and kind of using their driveway or uh, you know, their, their outside area as a base camp. So I kind of had access to, you know, water and a uh, bathroom facility and I could wash some clothes and that worked out really, really well. Uh, cause it was cool on that front because I could hang out with folks. Uh, but like nobody wants a perpetual guest at their house, right? Like, you know, you want to walk around in your underwear eventually or whatever. So when it was bedtime, I'd go outside, uh, and have my own space. And then the people who I was hanging out with, they'd have their own space. And so you kind of never got tired of each other. I guess it mostly important. They never seemed like they got tired of me, which is I'm the one imposing on them. Uh, but anyway, so for the van, that was pretty much the setup. I did have a curtain situation, which was just, uh, if you can just imagine across the middle of the van, I, I strung some, uh, picture, 
picture frame hanging wire, uh, or rather my wife Marianne did. She strung that across there and just used that as like, you know, a makeshift kind of shower curtain rod. And I actually just had a, a black shower curtain there that I could pull over and close off that area or open it up and I could see through while I was driving. And then had the same sort of a setup on the side windows uh, with a little bit of Velcro there at the bottom. And we just got some, uh, bought some curtains there at the big box center and cut them down and uh, made that work. And then the back window, I had a, uh, it's like that, bubble wrap insulated mylar uh, i think it's called reflectives or something and we just cut out a piece that fit there and put some velcro on it and i would just roll that up and stick that underneath my bed as well uh, and man i mean mechanically everything worked great i had one little hiccup in missoula just you know this is after like putting five thousand miles on it being on back roads and just beating it up and i had a, a nut on one of the shocks had come loose so i had a uh, I don't know. I drove around trying to figure out a solution for that for about 30 minutes until I finally just bought a nut and put that on. But that was really no big deal. Uh, I did have the battery die a few times and eventually in Michigan, like the battery just wouldn't hold the charge anymore. So I pulled it and I mean, I was, I don't know, a half mile away from a auto zone. So I just walked it over there and bought a new battery and popped it in. It worked fine. Uh, I'm trying to think what else, uh, yeah, I mean, just kind of like all the basics worked out really well. The The bed was super comfortable, right? Like, so I said, it's the same bed that I've got in the lodges. So uh, it's just like a eight-inch thick memory foam mattress. It was a twin-size bed. It perfectly fit me. And, uh, yeah, when I get tired, either, either just driving, you know, like the first chunk of driving I had to do like pretty much 30 continuous hours. So I would just drive until I started weaving a little bit. And then I'd find a wide spot on the road uh, out west. I, I think because there's such distance between people and services, they have a lot of these big wide spots on the side of the road that are designed for travelers or truckers to pull over. And so I would pull over on one of those. You know, you could get maybe 40 feet off the road and uh, close all my curtains. And depending on how long I was going to sleep, like if I was going to try and get four or five hours of sleep, and the, the same situation would work like at a, a love's truck stop or something like that. I had a, you know, a pair of sweatpants and a hoodie and I'd switch, switch into that, have my sleeping clothes. And I, I just, I didn't even have a, I didn't even have a, a, a sleeping bag. Right. I just had like a down comforter and like an, an extra blanket. And it felt like you were sleeping at your house. So it was super comfortable. It's kind of like being a, a hermit crab. You're carrying your house there with you. Uh, and temperature wise, it worked out really perfect. I had, I think the highest temperature I encountered on this was about 85. And that was like the heat of the day during the evenings. It was getting, you know, 60 degrees or so. So, uh, and then the lowest temperatures I experienced one day in Eastern Oregon, I went to sleep and it was starting to snow. And when I woke up, there was like four inches of snow. And I think it got down to about 28. Uh, and you know, that was, it was a little bit cold when I was, when I woke up and got out of bed and was, you know, putting my hunting clothes on. But as far as sleeping, I was perfectly comfortable in that entire range of temperature. Uh, it would not be near as comfortable if it started getting hotter than that. Like right now in Arkansas, it's like 101 degrees with miserable humidity. And uh, if I was going to, if I'm going to travel in that van 
you know, not just in the spring, right? I do need to make some adjustments and probably get one of those rooftop little mini HVAC systems uh, so that I can, you know, turn a little air conditioner on or turn a little supplemental heat on, uh, depending on the conditions. Um, I'd say I'm, I've kind of got a, like a list here on the wall and I'm looking at like what went right. And so what went right was, uh, like mechanically, everything worked really well. I, I put a roof rack on the top and you know, a roof rack for these big vans is really expensive. I think this van life thing obviously is everywhere. Uh, and just like a big roof rack that fit a van this size was like $1,200. Um, th that wasn't something I was willing to, <laughs> to invest in. So instead what I did was I got two sets of just like uh, ladder rack bars that you would see like, a, you know, like a plumber's van would have on top. And I used those as supports and then ripped a piece of three-quarter inch uh, treated plywood that I had at my shop to where it would fit on top of that rack, uh, bolted it down, and then I was able to mount my spare tire up there. I also mounted a couple of, you know, just one inch wide eyelets up there and put a five gallon gas can secured with a bungee strap. And that honestly, I was kind of amazed at how, how secure that made me feel because like I knew I could change my tire if I needed to. Right. I knew uh, if I ran out of gas, I could just get up there. I kept about two and a half gallons of gas in there the whole time. And, and there were definitely some stretches out West where, I mean, you're going, 60 and 75 miles between services. So if anything kind of went awry, uh, it felt good to have that as an insurance policy. Uh, man, you know, other than that stuff worked pretty cool. I, I worked out a little routine where I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd pull my little miniature table out. I'd set my Coleman stove up. I mean, this whole thing took like a minute and 30 seconds. I would boil some water and I'd make coffee. And the, initially I was just doing it with these, you know, like Starbucks instant coffee packages, but I mean, that's, it's decent, but it's not near as good as a fresh cup of coffee. So I think about halfway through the trip, I found a, I realized I was like, man, I just need to go buy a French press. So I went and bought a French press and just started making top shelf coffee every single day. Uh, and man, that setup was so cool because I could. I was so completely mobile. There was like kind of nowhere I couldn't go. So when I left East Oregon, I hunted for like an extra half day because I was, I was on this turkey and I was trying to get him and it didn't work out. But then had dinner with my friends. I left their place at like nine o'clock at night, right? So it was, there was snow on the ground. It was cold. It was getting dark. I got out of the valley they lived in there in East Oregon and I got about 45 minutes down the road and just hit this mini little blizzard deal. And I mean, it was hard to see. I'm out, you know, on this uh, kind of windy road out in Eastern Oregon and just hard to see because of so much uh, snow. So I found the first big wide spot I was telling you all about. I, uh, I got about 40 feet off the road and just hunkered down and went to sleep until four o'clock in the morning and woke up and made a cup of coffee and then, you know, kept driving. And it, it allowed me to, just keep moving. So I would just take these short rest periods. You know, sometimes I'd sleep for four or five hours, uh, 
most of the time I was sleeping for while traveling, I was sleeping for like three hours at a time, kind of just enough to wake up and get a cup of coffee and, and keep on moving. Because once I got to where I was going to set up for a few days, then I kind of had all the, the, the comforts of home, right? Like I had a bed to sleep in. I could go and use a bathroom. I could, uh, take a shower, wash clothes, whatever. Um, stuff that I would, I would improve, just about the the van itself uh i'd say first thing uh would be do something about the road noise so most of the road road noise surprisingly came from the front end so i think it's just a matter of you know these were built as like very utilitarian vehicles and so they don't have near the bells and whistles that uh one, a car that's not 25 years old would have, uh, but also even like sedans and more kind of consumer vehicles of the time. Uh, this thing is just built kind of, I mean, built actually very, very well. And I, I was amazed at how well it's held up. It's, it still has, I think I've, no, I've crossed over in like 52,000 miles, but it's got incredibly low miles. I bought this thing with like 40, a little over 40,000 miles on it. But anyway, I'm saying all of this because uh, just that air coming through the front end is, is pretty loud and pretty noticeable uh, to the point that it was a little irritating to talk on the phone. Like I'd, I'd have headphones in, I'd be talking into the mic microphone, but I would have to, I was talking so loud just to even be able to hear myself with headphones in. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of just the whoosh, the constant air sound. Uh, that was in the car. Like I eventually got used to it and it ended up not being that big of a deal for me. I just drove around with headphones in, but I definitely plan on, you know, taking the dash panel off and all that. Uh, there's this, there's this insulation that's kind of like specifically made for, uh, people that are traveling in these vans, right? These van setups. And it's, it's like made out of wool, right? So I think you can just kind of pack that in there. It stops a lot of that air coming through and absorbs that sound and then put everything back together. There's uh, some sound deadening materials. I think I might put in, like pop all the panels off and put that in there as well. Uh, so that would, that, I mean, honestly, on the whole trip, that was my, that was my like kind of only annoyance really. Uh, it could definitely, uh, have some upgrades to the suspension system. So I put some, some big heavy duty shocks on it, but it's still, it's not like a very smooth ride at all. Right? Like it's, it feels like a 25 year old truck when you're driving around. Uh, I think putting some airbags on the suspension in the back would help out a lot. And so I'm looking into doing that. Uh, you know, in a dream world, it'd be cool to do like a four by four conversion on this, but you know, that's, if you're paying retail on that, I mean, you're probably 12 to $15,000. So, uh, that won't be happening anytime soon, but I do think I'm going to switch to just some slightly bigger knobbier tires, maybe look at a little bit of a lift, but I actually think that just putting new tires on it and uh, putting those airbags on the back will give it the little bit of lift that, that I'd like. Um, I think 
that for the suspension. I think the rooftop HVAC uh, setup with you know probably one of these. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, it seems like the easiest way to do that would be getting a hold of one of these like very quiet Honda type generators. Wouldn't need to be uh, a really big one and just run that supplemental uh, air conditioning off of that. Uh, like I, I don't want to be disturbing the peace. Uh, if I could run it off of just batteries and solar, I'm looking into that as well because that might be that might be cool, but it, it just might take a little too much juice. And and honestly, like it was something that I never would have needed to run for this entire journey. But you know, I'm I'm looking at trying to do a week or two for early Canada goose out west, and it's gonna be hot. And uh, man, I can take the heat, but Dude, sometimes, well, not sometimes, it's nice to be able to even just like wipe off with a wet wipe and then get some air flowing on you at the end of the day. Uh, oh, I know something that I would absolutely add to this. And that would be, uh, so like the first thing I would add to the whole setup, I would get some soundproofing. I would get some supplemental air conditioning. Uh, much more worried about air conditioning than than heat, to be honest with you. But before I do any of that, the absolute first thing I'm adding to this is that I will be traveling with a bike, with a bicycle just like strapped on the roof rack, or I might set up some sort of tailgate system or something like that to carry it. But, uh, man, that would be a, a real game changer for a couple different reasons. So I just mean like a, a very basic in my mind, it's like a mountain bike, but you know, just a bike you could ride around town, ride on the grass, ride on a trail. That would be super helpful. Just going to these new places, uh, just kind of exploring or like, uh, I stayed with some friends in outside of Corvallis, Oregon. And, you know, town was maybe a 12 minute drive, but Man, it's so nice to not have to drive that big, you know, land yacht around that there was lots of days when it would have been so much easier and like honestly more enjoyable to just uh, jump on the bike and, you know, take a 15 or 20 minute bike ride. I also think you see places in a different way, uh, you know, from a bicycle, just like a little community, you're going to see it and experience it in a very different way. So I'd be super into that. Uh, and then also hunting that national forest. I'm, I'm thinking specifically, I was hunting some national forest uh, over in East Oregon. And uh, I'd gone with some friends the first day. We got about two miles in. Uh, now, this was like on an established trail. Uh, and struck a bird up and made a setup and called this bird in. I bet this bird came from 150 yards away. Pretty thick woods trying to pull them into a little clearing and uh i dude i've thought about it so much since then i think i just messed it up i think i was a little too aggressive with the calling and i think he got close and he started he got close and was just like i mean 25 yards away from me on the but there was some there was gunch in between us right so i couldn't see him but i could hear him gobbling and then i started hearing him putting around right that 
is that, that's not a good sign. That's like a deer blowing. And uh, yeah, he boogered out of there. But so anyway, that next day I went in and I ended up walking nine miles that day and just trudging around trying to strike a bird up. That's when it had snowed that evening. So the woods were, it was a totally different situation. I never could get anything to gobble. I couldn't really find much sign of life out there, uh, but it was such a drastic change, you know, like you had a, a temperature drop at 35 degrees and four inches of snow overnight. But I would have loved to have gotten down into that, to where I'd already been to quickly and quietly and then I could have explored a lot more of the stuff that I hadn't been in the day before. So you could totally do that in a, in a bicycle. You know, I could have walking in there, you know, two miles, even on trail. Like you're probably looking at, what is it? 30 minutes, 45 minutes, depending on how quiet you're trying to be. Uh, and you could, you know, you could have busted that out in, in 10 minutes on a bicycle it, at a leisurely pace. So I'll be adding a bicycle to to this traveling setup. Uh, I also think that, you know, the cooler that I had, I had like this really big giant Yeti cooler that I acquired last year. Man, I, I don't remember which model it is. It's, I mean, it's like literally, it's it's got the same sort of a footprint as a, as the tailgate of a truck. It's, I mean, it's huge. And it was really more than I needed. I could have had a, a much smaller cooler and totally got away with it. Uh, and that would have given me a little bit more room. Uh, I also think that the way I had my clothes stored wasn't fantastic because, you know, think of it as like Arkansas and New York City, right? Like in Arkansas, they build out because there's lots of room, right? There's low population. In New York City, they build up. I, sh I was spread out with all my clothes and the coolers and whatnot. And I should have, I should build like a, a shelving system that I can, I can put in there and then have all my clothes going vertical and then have a much bigger open floor plan in there. Uh, and then man, like some sort of platform system with a little bit more storage underneath it, I think would be great. So that basically either means uh, if I DIY it, I'll build a like a plywood platform that goes over the wheel wells and it's probably divided underneath that and then just has some slide in drawers there uh, or you know uh, I mean creme de la creme would be one of those decked systems that you see people using all the time uh, what I do like about that and I would probably arrange either way is to have like a locking ability you know uh, I was I was very rarely in places where I was concerned about seeing other people honestly but you know just when you're traveling it's it's nice to have a way to have a, some extra insurance on keeping your stuff locked up uh i think that's kind of the basics that i was thinking about uh i am actually going to answer some questions that i've solicited from some folks i know and uh just folks that I either this first batch of questions is from a buddy of mine, Brad Green, uh, here in Arkansas, and we ran into each other, ran into each other. We met up at BHA Rendezvous there, and he was camping with his wife Susan, and they've got like one of those those like campers that fits in the back of a pickup truck. Which man, I went into his, 
it's wild, man. It's so much bigger inside than you would ever think. And, dude, I could see you being able to do some really cool uh, getting around in a setup like that. It, it was really cool, like lots of comforts. Uh, but so let's see what Bradley here is asking. All right. Uh, what tools and spare parts would you recommend both for the van and hunting gear? So I did have, you know, what I thought was like a pretty decent toolkit put together. Uh, so I basically had a big Tupperware container and in that I had a battery trickle charger, which I did have to use a couple of times. And that was pretty easy when I was, you know, staying parked outside of somebody's house or, you know, like I stayed at like kind of a working uh, ranch. So I was, I don't know, what do you call it? It wasn't a pasture. It was just outside their house. I don't know. Right by the corral. But I was able to, and I, I brought like a 100-foot extension cord. So I was able to run an extension cord from the shop over to my van and keep the battery charged up. Uh, I had jumper cables. I never had an occasion to use those. Um, no, that's not true. I did use those in Michigan. So at those jumper cables and then I had like a ratchet set and I had a uh, just like a, a regular wrench set you know uh, and what else did I take I just took like a, a screwdriver I took one of those screwdrivers you know that's like five dollars where it's you can flip from Phillips to a flathead and there's like a big side and a little side I took that I took a hammer because there's Lots of occasions just have to beat on stuff. And then I brought some extra ratchet straps and some toe straps. And I figured with that, you know, and some help, I could get out of most situations if I use common sense. Uh, the other thing I did was I made sure that I had AAA, which I would absolutely recommend to you. It's like 60 bucks a year. And I got the mid-grade AAA, and it's like 60 bucks a year. And that'll give me, I have to double check, but it's either three or five calls that are covered for a year. So that's, if I got to make a call and get gas because I ran out of gas, if I need the battery jumped, if I got locked out of my car, if the car broke down, they'll tow me up to 100 miles before I have to pay. And, I mean, that kind of covers all your bases. So I figure between, you know, most basic self-rescue, which would be just being able to diagnose and fix a few basic things in your car. Uh, you know, having a spare tire, having a jack, having some extra gas, and then having, you know, like a, a screwdriver, basically a couple different screwdrivers, uh, a wrench set, a ratchet set, something to bang with. I mean, if I can't, if that's, if, if it's beyond those tools capability, then it's something that's, I'm not going to be able to take care of on the, on the road there anyway. So, uh, oh, uh, Allen wrench set. I'd, I'd recommend that. There's always like weird things in cars where suddenly they want, so I'd say like a, uh, just like a regular Allen wrench set. And then maybe one of those ones that has like the star heads and that would, man, that would cover everything. You could use that on your, like compound bow you could use that on the car i mean if you had all that stuff you could work on your vehicle you could work on your bow uh, and then oh i had a uh i must say i did have a couple other things i had a pair of channel locks and a pair of vice grips 
you know, you can just, that's just kind of all the basic stuff. Like, I mean, on a vehicle, you're going to be turning things, right? So it's all going to be bolted together or screwed together. So those are the tools that I would use to kind of effectively work on most of the stuff. And one of the benefits of this being a 98 and it being such a utilitarian vehicle is, uh, you know, this is, so this car has a, or this van has like roll up windows, you know, it's got like a, a cigarette lighter. Like it's, it's not just a, not just a place to plug your charger in for. Like it was designed for like a cigarette lighter. It's got an ashtray in there. It's got the fake wood grain, uh, just a radio, no, no tape deck or CD player or anything like that. So it's, it's just kind of easy to deal with. Uh, so I'd say that as far as tools, you know, that's, if you went to a big box store and bought all that stuff new, you could probably get it all for like 120 bucks. So, and then I stuffed all that in a Tupperware container and, you know, I had to get into it several times, but it was all pretty easy stuff to take care of since I had those tools, you know, like that shock deal didn't turn into a, a disaster because I had the tools to deal with it. Uh, what else? Oh, best way to find safe, legal overnight spots. So just me traveling by myself, I was using like wide spots in the road. I was using truck stops. So like, uh, if I saw like, I'm talking like a big truck stop. If you pull in at any big truck stop, you know, on a major thoroughfare at between 10 at night and three in the morning, it's just going to be from what I've experienced, it's going to be a ton of truckers and then a bunch of people in vans or just people in their cars pulled over. And, you know, I actually feel pretty secure in that situation. So I'd pull over there like in a loves uh, truck stop parking lot. I'd back my vehicle in. That's something I did a lot, which was I backed in just so in case I did have to get out of there quick or someone was like, Hey, get the hell out of here. I could just vamoose. I'd back in, I'd close my curtains. I'd get my jam jams and I'd get some sleep wake up, use the bathroom, fill up the tank, you know, get a snack and hit the road. It was, it was an incredibly efficient way. Uh, but my buddy Brad also was telling me when he was traveling out west, him and his wife Susan, they were using these two different apps. Uh, one was called Free Roam and one was called iOverlander. And, you know, you can put your route in and it'll pop up like all the KOA campground spots and it'll show you like all of the national forest service camping spots and that I did take advantage of that a little bit. So there was some, there was like one night where uh, me and my buddy, Jimmy, we just, when we were traveling from California to Oregon, we just drove until we were tired. And, you know, between using Onyx and Google maps, we just found a chunk, chunk of national forest and we backed our cars in. There was like kind of like a wide trailhead. We backed our vehicles in there and like, hang out we hung out for like an hour hour and a half uh, didn't make a fire or anything just like hung out outside the vehicles and drank a beer and then he slept in his truck and i slept in my van woke up in the morning made coffee oatmeal and then kept on trucking uh and then uh, i saw this especially in eastern oregon that's the first time i started going to the like the state managed campground so it'll be kind of like a pull-in deal they've got They've got like spots with like a fire pit and a place to park your vehicle or your camper or whatever. They've got some communal communal restroom facilities, so picnic tables, you know, whatever. 
I personally preferred to just sleep someplace where I could get in and out of it quick. I didn't have to pay anything. Uh, you know, 10 or $15 isn't prohibitive necessarily, but, uh, you know, I just needed to be able to not drive for four hours or five hours while I got some sleep. I didn't need a whole setup. So, but I would stop and use the bathrooms of those places. Uh, and man, they're maintained pretty good. I, uh, some of the questions I get are, are silly here. Uh, no, I never, I never had to go number two in my van. Uh, and honestly, the way I dealt with that was, I uh, just like, <laughs> you know, go to a truck stop or if you're stopping at your friend's house, be like, Hey man, can I use your bathroom? Uh, I, I wasn't really interested in like carrying around a, uh, like a compostable toilet or anything like that. Uh, and so, yeah, that was pretty easy. Uh, and then, you know, I guess I have the privilege of being able to <laughs> pull over on a lonely stretch of road and, uh, take a whiz as needed. So I did that plenty and yeah, it was, it was really pretty easy. I, I was able to take showers, uh, you know, from time to time and then, you know, just brushing your teeth and, uh, I got kids, <laughs> you know, that wear pull-ups. So I just, uh, took a pack of their wet wipes and, you know, I stayed cleaner than I did back when I was living in a van with a bunch of rock and rollers. Uh, what other questions do we have? Uh, buh, 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 buh. Man, I already covered some of this stuff. Uh, yeah, man, this dude asked a bunch. So I'm, I'm looking at this text my buddy Jimmy Flat from Hunters of Color sent me. And... Yeah, so I, I think some of these, the latter end of these questions are pretty good. So he asked, would I do it again? Absolutely, I'd do it again. It is probably the, it's probably some of the happiest, uh, it's probably the happiest I've been in a long, long time. And I mean, I have a good life. Uh, it, it was just so, it was so freeing. It really was. Uh, and just to get to see so much of these vastly different landscapes just under my own control, right? Like listening to music or I went long stretches of no music and just watching the topography change, you know, and like one day waking up in a truck stop in Amarillo, Texas, and it's 45 degrees. And then, you know, six o'clock at night, I'm in needles, California. It's like 95 degrees, just getting roasted. Um, and going from these like Eastern deciduous forests and these crop fields to these deserts. Uh, Western New Mexico was really beautiful because you got out of the deserts and it kind of hit, uh, or maybe I'm saying it wrong. Maybe it was Eastern New Mexico, I guess, cause it was kind of like mountains and these deep green coniferous trees. Uh, so yeah, I'd absolutely do it again. It was, the hunting was phenomenal. So cool. Uh, I, I'm saying cool. That's not a, that's not a, conducive enough word it was i mean fulfilling i think is the word i'm really looking for to be able to hunt these birds and i haven't even gotten into how i feel about these turkeys man but to be able to hunt them in all these different places these different landscapes and have it all still be something that was accessible to me just as like a 
you know, just as like a kind of regular working class dirt bag. Uh, man, it's, it's so special, so unbelievably special, uh, and so unheard of for most of human history. Uh, well, rather, I'd say probably recorded history, you know, once people started putting fences up. Uh, what else we have? Oh, yeah, what did your van renovation cost? So, like I said, I put that roof rack on top. Those those came in sets of two. And so I think those were like $110 per set of two. So that cost me like, you know, 230 bucks. You know, I pulled a bunch of stuff I already had. Uh, used some scrap wood. I mean, all said and done, and this is with... This is with buying, uh, buying a few things like buying. Uh, I think I bought a new set of jumper cables. Oh, that's the other thing I, I took with me is I did buy a one of those battery uh, battery attached tire inflator systems, right? And that was like sixty bucks. So if I got a flat or whatever, I was just taking care of. But man, I put like five hundred dollars into it, uh, and and I'll tell you, I'll tell y'all just straight up what I got in the whole deal. Uh, I bought that van a year and a half ago with like 41,000 miles, something like that on it. Uh, really great mechanical condition, had new tires on it, and I paid $7,500 for it. And then I, I put like 500 bucks just kind of rigging it up. Uh, uh, call it, and you know, I did go, I got those seats out of the junkyard too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I've probably got, $500 and making it like a camper and then uh I can just everything I've got in there I can just pull out pretty easily and I can put the bench seats back in and then I can still shuttle folks around for hunts this winter. Uh and if folks are interested in it, I'm kind of interested in it so I might just do it anyway, but I will I'll make like a brief video to go along with this podcast and I'll put it up on Instagram so you can kind of see what I'm talking about on everything and I'm as I make a, improvements to this, I'm just going to document it and put it up. And I, I think it'd really be worth maybe saving some of this uh, to to show folks, man, that like you can do this and have a like I had a really high standard of living. This kind of in between camping and couch surfing thing that I did, it, it, I mean, it worked out phenomenally. Uh, I ate really amazing meals. I mean, hell, when I was in Oregon, I'd killed three turkeys and still had like a day and a half before I had to be on the road and was taking some time to catch up on emails and do some work. And uh, me and Jimmy and Lydia, my friends there, we went to like a winery, right? And like did a little wine tasting. So I was living really well. Like I said, I had 500 bucks in the whole build out. Then uh, he's asking me about like, you know, how could someone recreate this? you know, most cost effectively. So I think just for one person, maybe two people, you know, if you really like each other, I think you could do this with a van and like lots of different kind of vans or lots of truck setups. I'd say the number one thing would be having a comfortable sleeping setup. So like I put most of my attention on like, man, I'm going to have a nice just a decent bed to sleep in. And that was huge because you could do anything you wanted during the day. And then you had this 
little private kind of cocoon like place to stay but like you weren't rolling around it wasn't a half inch pad right like on a bunch of rocks you weren't just staying in a in a tent you weren't waking up with like the tent stuck up against your face because of all the condensation from the dew that morning there was none of that kind of jazz i couldn't stand up all the way in there but i could stand up most of the way you know i could sit on my bed and change my clothes or take my wet boots off and and put on a pair of crocs and just like be comfortable in my space and man it was huge so i'd say you could do that just like with a camper shell on a truck uh and the, the very similar situation to the way i described i put the van together or uh, a van i think a minivan would work great for this uh it might even be more effective in some ways. I just need something that I can kind of switch back and forth to shuttle clients and to be able to bebop around and hunt out of. But I think, yeah, man, uh, I think a, a minivan with the seats taken out would, would, would work great too. Uh, and it would definitely be better on gasoline because that gasoline is high, man. But still, I still came out so ahead uh, I think on two reasons. One, like just transportation cost. If I was like, hey, I'm going to fly to California and then I'll catch a ride with Jimmy from California up to Oregon. We'll hunt there. And then I'll have to fly to this other part of Oregon and have my buddy pick me up there or I got to rent a car. And then I've got to get from there and fly to Missoula or anything like that. I mean, it would have been astronomically higher, right? I mean... A plane ticket might have, one of those plane tickets might have cost a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars or something. So you start stacking that up. I still on travel. I still came out better. I didn't have any lodging costs in the whole deal. And you know we're talking like essentially thirty days on the road. I didn't pay for lodging a single time. Uh, I paid for gasoline, but I could. It, it it almost felt like I was I had a superpower, right? Like. When I left Arkansas, I had 36 hours to get to California. It was 30 hours of driving. And so I just drove, drove, drove until I couldn't drive anymore, pulled over, slept for long enough that I could drive some more. There were several times where I'd wake up, I'd drive for two hours, and then say, man, I need a little more rest. And I'd pull back over someplace and get a couple more hours of rest. And, man, it worked out good. I mean, I was just able to go, 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 go. Now, eventually that would wear you down, but man, it worked, worked really phenomenally. Uh, the only other thing I think that I would add to this and I absolutely need to as, you know, without like putting all my business out there, I, I'm definitely moving towards, I think, spending a lot of time in that van traveling around, uh, hunting and documenting, uh, different stuff in this country and the way different people live and the way they hunt and the way they eat and having conversations with people and all that stuff. Uh, man, it's, Oh, it's so cool. It's, it's man. It's so cool. It's, I just can't kind of can't get over how rad of an experience it was. But the thing I do need to add into that is some sort of fairly regular and I'd say daily, <laughs> you know, like exercise. So, what I'd, I'd been running, uh, I'd been averaging, I think, about 20 miles a week before this. And then I, like, when I got on the road and had to drive real hard, so I missed the first day. And then I was, like, hanging out with my buddies, and so I missed a day. And then, like, pretty soon I was just kind of, like, off the rails. And 
wasn't running every day anymore and like wasn't working out and was, you know, eating stuff that wasn't the best for me. And that's got to be in balance a little bit more. But, man, as far as just being able to get up and go, I think the rig's pretty set up for it. And I'm excited to see... I'm excited to see what what I can do with it, uh, you know, kind of late this summer. So I'm trying I'm trying to figure some stuff out for early season Canada's there, like in North Dakota. So that would be in mid August, and then I think this year too, I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt deer a lot harder here in Arkansas than I normally have, because uh, I'm gonna need to stick stick a little closer to home. I my wife and I are expecting our third child to come right smack in the middle of duck season. So I'm going to hunt really hard early season. And then for a lot of December, I mean, I'm obviously still going to hunt here in Arkansas, but it'll be a lot more just hunting for myself uh, or maybe with one or two other buddies. But uh, I've kind of got a mind to, to really spend a lot of time uh, chasing some trying to find some Canada geese here in central Arkansas and east Arkansas. And the thing about this state is that, you know, you can go from one side to the other in three hours. So that's even a deal where I could get up or go for a couple days, stay in the van and hunt and then boogie back uh, to Little Rock where I live uh, if need be, you know, in, in, in a quick, quick manner. But yeah, man, if you folks have any other questions about this, uh, feel free to reach out. I'd, I'd, I'd really encourage folks to look outside the box a little bit as far as what they need to do a hunt. It, it's not an either-or deal. It's not that you have this luxurious lodge-type situation with every one of your needs catered to, or you're just sweating it out in one of those little tiny one person tents up on the side of a mountain and you carry everything on your back. There's an in between to this, uh, that I think is much more doable for a lot of people and like roll it in. Like I basically rolled this whole trip into, I banged out like eight podcasts with super fascinating people, right? I had amazing meals with really cool folks. I got to visit my friends. I got to make new friends. I got to hunt birds all over the country. I got to see beautiful landscapes. I got to see and hear amazing uh, displays of Mother Nature, like listening to these turkeys gobble. And, you know, I, re I really did it on on a hell of a budget, right? You know, I... I had that gas money in it. I had my license fees, which, you know, so for, you know, I had less than $500 in license fees for all those turkeys. And then I just had my time, right? And I don't know what my time is worth, really. Uh, that's kind of part of what I'm trying to figure out right now. But, man, it, it feels like an amazing investment to me. Uh and yeah, I fully plan on doing a turkey tour next year. I'm trying to figure out a way to to do it for longer, to spend more time chasing Easterns over here on the Eastern side of the U.S. Uh, I would definitely like to try and see what's going on with those Osceolas down in Florida. And yeah, man, the Goulds, that would be so amazing to get to see one of them. Uh, 
But, you know, that's definitely more of a long shot or you got to come up off a little bit of extra grip to get those tags. But, man, me and turkeys, I was describing it to somebody the other day. Uh, some folks I had up at the lodge, I took them catfishing for a couple of days. And I was I was explaining to him, I was like, man, you know, think about, think about like the first time that, you know, in my, you know, from my perspective, like the first time I kissed a girl, right? And then for like days afterwards, you're like thinking about it, you're reliving it, right? You're just like savoring this, this moment in your life, right? Uh, you're thinking about like all the idiosyncratic things that took place in you know, in an occasion that probably didn't even last very long, right? That's how I feel about turkeys. Like, I think about them every day now. I look at pictures of them. I make the noises that they make, and I try and make them more accurately every time. <laughs> you know, like, I'm I'm just, like, hopelessly uh, head over heels in love with them. And, man, it's awesome. It's awesome, awesome, awesome to know that that is still a possibility and that no matter how much I get to do or like what sort of gnarly things I see when I'm hunting or fishing or, you know, just stomping around the woods, there's just stuff that I have zero control over that just has such a deeply primally resonant response inside of me. And that's what, that's what these turkeys are, are doing to me. So I'm loving it, and yeah, looking forward to doing a, a few more podcasts in the coming week with some really fascinating people, and yeah, thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this this rig, this setup, give me a shout, and uh, we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always... It's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. If you want to follow me and see what I'm up to, best way to do that is Instagram. Handle will be Black Duck Revival. You can also take a look over on the website for writing, hunting, fishing dates, uh, all that kind of fun stuff. That will be at blackduckrevival.com. Uh, if you like this podcast, please help us inform others about it. Uh, sharing on social media just I mean the old fashioned way of talking to people like over a meal uh, that helps tremendously as well so anything like that any sort of bones you can throw my way I would be so appreciative of and thank you for listening we'll see you next time